So we have a, um, a, a picture. It was done with just colored pencils. Um, a, a friend of Abby, her, her aunt, drew a picture of our dog for us, our dog that had died. And when you look at that picture, it gives us that, that visual image of our dog. And it gives us our, that visual image to, to trigger an emotion. And I remember when she, she brought it, her, the, the friend, Caitlin, brought this picture to us and she had wrapped it and she was so excited. She didn't give it to Abby, she gave it to me. And so I'm, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm going to open this package. And, and I just, this rush of emotion from the picture that I saw. And, and when, um, now my, my younger sister is into doing watercolors. And so she has started um, doing some that are uh, based on pictures, photos of of pets and things like that, but sometimes she'll just paint a, a location. She says she's not as good at locations, particularly because uh, right now she's stationed in Hawaii. She's in the military stationed in Hawaii, and she says she can't do water. So you live on an island and you can't do water, you have trouble, but I think she does water just fine. Um, but she, uh, those, those pictures give you just that, um, that it, it can still trigger that emotional response from a picture. And so as we look at today's passage, we'll see some pictures that, um, that Paul is painting for us. When he uses some of the words that he uses, he is, he is painting a picture that the Philippians are going to understand. Pictures of citizenship, pictures of soldiers on the front lines, pictures of athletes striving for victory. Uh, there's a, a picture of horses turning their heads away. He paints these pictures to try to give the Philippians this emotional response. And when he uses that language, and those, so we're going to look at a lot of what, well, when he uses this word, it means this. We're going to do a lot of that today. Because I want us to put ourselves in the mindset of the Philippians who were reading the language as these pictures that he was painting uh, with the words that he chose to use. So let's read Philippians 1, 27 through 30. And so here Paul has been showing us uh, thanksgiving previously, and, and we've learned how to pray through Paul. He talked about the, his joy because the gospel was still being advanced, and we were challenged to, um, 
to share the gospel no matter what um, and to use our sufferings to share the gospel. We learned about Paul and, and him saying to live is Christ. And now he comes to a point where he's telling us how we are to live. He's reminding us in this, in this paragraph, these four verses, he's reminding us that we are in a battle, but he's giving us the keys to victory through these instructions. He tells us that we are soldiers defending the faith of the gospel. And he reminds us that we have to live our lives based on that faith. And when we stand as soldiers, he's giving us, he's, he's reminding us of some of his other writings where he, he told us what other weapons or what weapons we are supposed to use directly against the enemy that's opposing us. Because we have to use spiritual weapons. In Ephesians, he wrote about um, the armor of God, and, and he's talked about the word of God and using prayer in his other letters. But we also must depend on the Holy Spirit to give us the power that we need to fight that victory or to, to gain that victory. But also we have to remember that when we're standing as soldiers, we're making up an army. We're not fighting a battle of one. We're fighting a battle for one, but we're not fighting a battle of one. We're fighting as an army. And that means standing together. That means you're, you're, you're fighting together. You're battling together. And so we're going to break down these four verses and just look closely at, at the pictures that Paul's painting to tell us how to, how to take this victory. Um, so let's reread uh, just verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's a big, long sentence that's not even complete in that one verse. Right? But we're going to break down even just the the first word where it says only, only let your manner of life. That only means exclusively. There is no veering to the left or right. It, there is no latitude to live any other way, only. And so then he says, so we're only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. All that must be done to live as a follower of Christ is summarized right there. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And the gospel isn't just the message of, of Jesus and, and that salvation. It's including, it includes every teaching, every command, every word of the Bible. And so it's let your manner of life be worthy of what the Bible says. And that's a question that we need to regularly be asking ourselves. Am I living in a manner worthy of the gospel? Now, the ESV uses that, that phrase, let your manner of life. The NIV says, conduct yourselves. And, and for us, conduct yourselves may be something that, that is easier to, to understand. But that Greek word there is politumai, which means in a law-abiding manner. 
to live as a citizen of a country and follow the laws. Now, Paul is very particular about the words he chooses in his letters, and this one is no different. Paul is suggesting here with that word, conduct yourselves or um, manner of life, that word, he's, he's reminding the Philippians that they aren't just Philippian citizens. They aren't just Roman citizens, because if you remember, they do have those privileges as well because of where they live. But he's reminding them that they are citizens of heaven. But that while we are on earth, we have to obey the laws of the land, but we also have to obey the laws of heaven. That we have to behave like citizens of heaven. And Paul is really playing off their dual citizenship at this point in time of their earthly and heavenly homes. And so when we read this verse and we just see only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, we don't have the picture that Paul painted for the Philippian church. He, because citizenship was of the utmost importance. Being a Roman citizen didn't happen for all the colonies. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. They knew the importance of being a citizen. They knew the importance of being a law-abiding citizen because losing your citizenship could happen easily. And so Paul, using that word, politomai, he's reminding them by painting a word picture that they are citizens of both heaven and of Rome. He's reminding them that just like they showcase their Roman citizenship, they need to showcase the gospel in how they live their lives. Now I say this and I want to just put that little caution out there, that little reminder, we, do be, we, we, we behave because that's what God wants of us. We don't behave in order to get to heaven. We are not saved by our good works. We behave because our names are already written in heaven. Our citizenship is already in heaven. We're not striving to get there. We're striving because we are there. And so then Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or are absent... Paul's reminding the Philippians that living worthy of the gospel is not just what should happen when, when Paul is watching or when someone else is watching. It is a faithful endurance. No excuses, a consistent life of, of, of worthy of the gospel. That consistent devotion to God and obedience to his word. Because the one who matters most is never absent. And so when we find ourselves alone, we must live consciously for him. Then it says, uh, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. 
Now, standing firm is a military term. We've talked about this one because that was part of our theme previously for our women's ministry. That stand firm where the, is, is the military term for a soldier on the front lines. They are in a fixed and stationary position. They are lined up together, ready to, to keep anything from getting through. And when we think about that, that picture that he's painting, because standing firm in one spirit, it's not just you standing firm. It is you as a group standing firm. You don't stand firm in one spirit alone. And so he is telling the church, stand firm together, just like those soldiers do so that nothing can get by. And then for the next part of this verse, Paul changes that picture from politics, from being citizens and soldiers to athletics. Uh, when he says, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul pictured the church as a team, and he reminded them that it is teamwork that wins victories. The enemy is always happy to see internal divisions in a local ministry. You think about, um, Ray played soccer when he was growing up. I did briefly and then decided that that was not my sport. Um, but we went and we watched one of the Mount Calvary girls soccer teams, soccer games this season. And we sat up on the edge of the upper field because you could see the whole field and not just and, and so he was just watching, and he was enthralled with the way those girls moved on the field. He said, you could tell that they had been taught fundamentals as a team, and that not a one of them was thinking about themselves when they were on that field. They were running drills, basically, through the game. And you could see that when you could see the whole thing. You could just see how they worked together like a well-oiled machine. They knew where they were responsible for, but they knew also how to cover for each other, how to move the ball back and forth across the field. Their teamwork was what helps them, helped them to have such a successful season. William Hendrickson says the unity here envisioned by Paul in, in this striving side by side, the unity here envisioned is one of striving or struggling side by side like gladiators against a common foe. It is that idea of, of having a battle, but it's as a team. The enemies of God look for the weakest soldier in his army as an entry point. And they use it as an entry point to get into the, the local church. It is only as believers stand together and strive side by side that they can overcome the wicked one. Now, throughout this letter, this whole, the whole book, all four chapters, Paul uses an interesting device to emphasize the importance of unity. And so in the Greek language, the prefix sun, S-U-N, means with or together. And when used with different words, it strengthens the idea of that unity. Um, kind of like our prefix, co. 
when we think about um, the CO prefix. So at least 16 times throughout these four chapters, Paul uses this prefix, this son, this with and together, and his readers could not have missed that message. Because the important word, what he is trying to encourage them is that standing firmly together in one spirit, striving together against the enemy, and doing it with one mind and one heart. We are citizens of heaven, and therefore we should walk consistently. We are members of the same team, and we should work cooperatively. It's this picture, this striving together, is this picture of competing with maximum effort in the face of opposition. And he reminds them it's... um, They're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He reminds them what their unity must be built on. Then we get to verse 28. So we're going to reread Philippians 1, 28. Paul reminds them yet again that they will have opponents. This is the this word that he uses here is the picture of a horse that is shying away from battle. He's kind of turning away from the opponent that's ready to, to fight. But we should not be surprised by the resistance to the gospel that we will face. Jesus talks about it in John fifteen nineteen. Right. Jesus tells us the world is going to hate us, and then Paul tells us about it in Acts chapter fourteen, verse twenty two. Many tribulations, right? We are going to face tribulations, and that was, that was Paul. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.12 about, about it as well. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Those fiery trials. Do not be surprised by those fiery trials. <laughs> When we face opposition, it's the enemy trying to break down that that firm wall that we have built, trying to break in and break through and destroy. Now the Philippians, they were their their opposition at this point in time, and he will he has talked about it some, and we'll talk about it some more. Um, was was false teachers that are trying to bring back the Mosaic law, that are trying to say you must follow the Hebrew law and become a Christian. Um, 
And so that's, that's part of what they are facing at the time. And, and Paul goes on to talk about it, not just here, there were lots of the churches that were struggling through that. Um, and so they are, um, you know, that, that's the opposition they're currently facing. But as we're also going to see in chapter four, we're going to see where they are, they are facing internal struggle as well where there's infighting that's causing division between where, where people are having to choose sides. And we shouldn't have to choose sides. We're going to face enough opposition from the outside that we don't need it coming from the inside as well. And so that's, again, him encouraging us to stand together and strive together. And then we get to Philippians 1.29. He says, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, right? It's showing their salvation. They are facing the opposition to be shown that they are truly saved. That opposition shows their salvation. The battles prove that we are saved. And it shows God working in in our lives, in their lives, but also in our lives, right? The the, we suffer for his sake. The presence of conflict is a privilege. Right? I bet you've never thought about it that way before. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. And that's what Paul is reminding us. Now, Paul is the king of suffering, right? We've seen and heard about it. He's got the thorn in the flesh. He's there in jail knowing not how much longer he has. He doesn't know whether he's going to become a free man or be put to death. He has no idea. He is suffering, and he is telling us it's a privilege for that. And then we get to the last verse, verse um, Philippians 1.30. The word conflict is um, in in the Greek is agon, like our word agony. It means it's a painful effort that's expended by athletes that are pushing themselves to the limit. It's a term that was later used for the marathon, the marathon twenty six point two miles. I don't know if any of you have run a marathon, but if you have, you're crazy. Like, I mean, who does that to themselves, right? 26.2 miles just for fun. How can that be fun? It's agony, right? So Paul reminds them that they are engaged in this same agony, that same struggle, not just that he is, but that everyone is. But it's also the word, the same word for conflict 
that's used here is the same word that that Jesus that is used for Jesus's struggle in the garden in Luke 22 verse 44. in anguish and so engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had it's in that same anguish that same agonizing pain that Jesus experienced that Paul is experiencing we are still engaged in that same thing we are fighting the same fight that Paul did and we are fighting the same fight that Jesus did Jesus was in agony because of the sin of the world. You are not alone. Satan wants us to think we are alone in the battle. That our difficulties are unique. This is not the case. Others are experiencing the same conflict. Paul reminded the Philippians that he was going through the same difficulties that they were experiencing while he was hundreds of miles away in the city of Rome. Now, our opposition is not always to the same degree as others, but we all suffer persecution. Right? Jesus promised it to us. Paul promised it to us. Peter promised it to us. We already read those Everyone suffers persecution. You are not alone. Others are experiencing the same conflict, the same agony that you are. Because going through that spiritual conflict, that spiritual agony is one way that we have to grow in Christ. So Warren Wiersbe says, as we face the enemy and depend on the Lord, he gives us all that we need for the battle. When the enemy sees our God-given confidence, it makes him fear. So the single mind, the unifying of all of us together, that concept of together that's throughout the passage, the single mind enables us to have joy in the midst of battle because it produces in us consistency, cooperation, and confidence. We experience the joy of spiritual teamwork as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. So next week we'll be um, off for Thanksgiving and then we'll meet back the following week for the first, I think it's the first four verses. I may be wrong. I didn't write down the next one on this page. Is it the first four verses? Okay. Chapter two, verses one through four, the last week of November, and then the first week in December will be our Christmas tea. So you are dismissed to your small groups.